Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Well, how many of you are ready for Christmas? Yeah, some of you, some of you. How many of you still got things to do? Whatever that means. Come on, yeah. Yeah, we are in that second boat right there of the pole. Um, We just barely got our Christmas tree up yesterday, so we are, we're making headway and we're doing good. We're doing good. We're excited, excited to celebrate and just um, be with family. If you've got a Bible, if you could open up to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Verse 8, we're going to dive into a portion of Scripture which many of you could probably recite, um, very famous text of Scripture given the time that we're in today, a week out from Christmas, the Christmas season, um, a story that is uh, tied hip to the nativity story that we see in Scripture. Pastor Doug has been taking us through a journey the last several weeks of the arrival of Jesus, the birth of a Savior. Masterful last week. If you uh, were not here last week, I want to encourage you to go listen to his message on the visitation to Mary about um, the birth of Christ. It was uh, an amazing message. And so um, this, this morning I want to touch on The message of the angels to the shepherds. Come on, somebody. In Luke chapter (laughs) 2, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, we see a story that almost every one of you will know. And so I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to chunk through a few portions as we go through this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those whom he is pleased. Come on. So here we have a story that that really in our culture and when we read it, I read it, it gives me just like a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's like, oh, this is a great story. The angels appeared to the shepherd. Oh, that's so good. I want to do a little deeper dive into the text this morning. I want to talk some cultural experience about when we read this text and answer maybe a why of the significance of these angels or messengers on high to the shepherds. It's really an exciting thing when we think about the idea of shepherds in our time. We have these connotations maybe of, you know, sheep in the the land and they're peacefully grazing and we can go out and check them and we feed them and care for them. Or maybe you're thinking of sheep in in the highlands of Scotland or in Ireland. You're like, oh, wow, beautiful picture. This was not any of that. This was not that. When we look in Scripture in the beginning, we see that being a shepherd was an esteemed position. In fact, being a herder, a shepherder, was was one of the main ways to generate wealth. Every, Every head of livestock represented a certain denomination in that multiplication. You could be wealthy. 
In fact, we even see that in Scripture that that was a a main way in the Old Testament that the Lord showed his favor on people. Uh, You can read many times over that it says, and he increased their herds. And you're like, whoa, what does that mean? Well, it means that if they had one sheep, they now have two. Or if they had one, they now have three. And many times it's multiplication. In fact, we see many times that that, uh, we see and threefold and fourfold. And you could think hundreds and thousands of head of sheep. And so these shepherders were not these, these um, poor people in society. They were the nomadic people who, who had vast wealth because of the herds and the, and the people that worked with them. And so, so when we look at scripture, we see, wow, shepherding. In fact, the good shepherd in Psalms and the great shepherd is a reference to the Lord. And that terminology is used because, because the writer under inspiration is like, what is the greatest thing I could write about, about God, about how he works and about how he cares? Oh, a shepherd. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Whoa, like the, 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 the highest estimation of title for our God was shepherd caretaker, one who would come alongside and, 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 and care for. So we see that in scripture, there's this high respect in the Old Testament early on for shepherding. And, and we see that right from the get-go almost, a tension arose between a shepherder and an orchardist or an agriculturalist, Cain and Abel, the first murder that happened between the siblings and occupations over sacrifice and it's over how that happened, how the Lord accepted that. And then we see later on as it goes, we see how all of a sudden in, in uh, Jacob's children, they were shepherds and how they sent Joseph away to Egypt. And when they sent him away to Egypt, the Egyptian culture had a different view of shepherds. In fact, when we look through history, we see that the Egyptian culture had a lowly view of shepherds. In fact, they didn't write very good things about people who were shepherds. And we see that mindset begin to be imprinted. In fact, towards the end of Genesis, uh, Joseph writes to his brothers, writes in Genesis, and he says, the Egyptians, every shepherd is detestable to the Egyptians, Genesis 46, 34. This is Joseph writing to his brothers. Hey, heads up, just want to let you know, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the court of the pharaohs, clean and shaven, the idea of shepherds entering the court of pharaohs, think about this, shepherds in the context out in their regions, flowing beards, what would be to us unkept wild when the wind blows. It's like, whoa, and long hair, and, and they're with the animals, and, and it's great experience. I think many times we whitewash the scenario here. We whitewash the, the story. When you think about the idea of herders or shepherders, think of people who are in the mix, in with the animals. Oh, you need help. I'm what do you need? I'm doing this. You know, caring for. That's today. If you, if you can't imagine that, just do this with me. This next year, come August, go to the Grant County Fair and walk through the animal barns. And then when you get to the animal barns, if the owner's like, go ahead, you can, you can, you can touch your pet the animal. Take the opportunity. Touch the animal. And if it's a pig or a sheep, 
get in there real good. Just touch that animal. Just like, oh, yeah. You know, you'll touch the pig and be like, you know, touch the sheep and be like, oh, whoa. I guarantee you on both of those animals, the moment you walk away, you'll be like, what? Now, just imagine that you were a shepherder for hundreds and thousands of sheep. And, and you were the Old Testament times, you would have had a windbreak or a, a flowing robe that's probably touching the ground as you're walking, and you're walking through the herd. And you're, and you're going through, and like all of a sudden, you're walking. This, you're representing who you are, the Old Testament. This is a picture. And, 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 and where shepherding was being esteemed, all of a sudden, as the Egyptians took the Israelites into slavery, the mindset began to imprint on the Israelites. We see the change in tone in Scripture. Joseph writes his brothers, hey, shepherders, man, they're detestable here in Egypt. Just a heads up, you're going to enter the court where I am. And can you imagine the clean court of the Pharaoh? And all of a sudden, Joseph's family brothers enter and they come in. 11 of them, and they're walking, and they've got their own thing, and the clean cord, and every servant is like, what? Their arrival, they didn't even have to say, you could smell them. Shepherds. And we look through scripture, and we see the fast forward of, of the mindset is the Egyptians released the Israelites, and then there's 400 years of silence. We don't know much about that time, but we do know, we do know the oral history the Mishnah, there was some writings about the feelings of shepherders during the time. In fact, the writing is, the written record of the oral law reflects that it lost its appeal. It forfeited its social acceptability. Some shepherds earned their poor re reputation, but others became victims of cruel stereotypes. The religious leaders maligned the shepherd's good name. Rabbis banned pasturing sheep and goats in Israel, except in desert plains. And so in the Mishnah, Ju Judean's written record also reflected the prejudice, referring to shepherds in belittling terms. One passage described them as incompetent. Another says no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherder who has fallen into a pit. The documents reflect that they were deprived of all civil rights. They could not fulfill judicial offices or be admitted in court as a witness. And then he goes on to write, to buy wool, milk, or a kid, a baby goat from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would be stolen property. Think about this. Their descent in culture, their descent in standing and reputation felt, fell so low in society that you had, the, you had the religious scholars of the day write that if there was one injured or fallen into a pit, you were not obligated to stop to help them. Where in every other scenario, you were obligated to stop. That's how low the idea of a shepherd had fallen. What about to be thought of as sus every time, suspect every time, every time that you would go to do some sort of marketplace thing? Had a, had a lamb, you're just going to the market. 
They're going to go do some trading. And everyone stared as you're walking because they had been taught that everything that you offer for sale in the marketplace was, would be considered stolen goods, suspect. Well, I submit to you that we don't live in a time like that. In fact, most of our circles of influence and the people that we hang out with you wouldn't regard them as that. In fact, I can think of a few scenarios or people in our city that maybe if they offered you something for sale, you would be suspect about its origins. Come on, am I the only one? Yeah, but you're thinking, hmm, hmm, oh, don't buy that. It could be stolen. But, but let, me, let, me, let me give you this. So we have a story of a people that were driven out from the premium land of grazing to the outskirts. If you're a herder, you want where the grass grows. You, you have animals that need to graze. And the religious scholars of the time had ordered you out to the desert lands to feed your flock. Uh, that sounds like a setup for failure. That sounds like giving you the worst of the worst. And so here we have a people in a caste system, essentially, by profession, that were set aside, set back, pushed away, and were not even to be interacted with in the normal course of your day or business. This is the subject of the angel's visitation. Can you imagine? You're doing your own thing. Nobody says hi to you. Nobody buys from you. Nobody interacts with you. You're just, Scripture says they were tending the sheep by night. Whether that meant they were standing there looking around. I don't know the predators of the day, coyotes, hyenas, wild dog, wolves, I don't know, bear. They're standing. Or maybe they were lounging, tending their sheep. All right, Rob, it's your turn. Whatever they were doing, it was night. And in that moment, it says the angels of the Lord appear to them. See, this is really powerful. This right here section of scripture should encourage each and every one of us. It should encourage us because God cares for the lowly. He cares for the outcasts. He cares for the addicted. He cares for the broken. God cares for people. And he chose the timing of the message and the, the people group as the recipients to show, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal myself to the wealthiest of wealthy that would be the magi, to the lowly of lows that would be the shepherds. And I'm going to give my message of my son's arrival to the spectrum of people to show people throughout the generations that I love people. End of story. So the story. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. This is, this is great. I love how the writer has to write because he has to tell us that when the angel of the Lord appeared, the shepherds were filled with great fear. And I can see through scripture that whenever a human had an encounter with an angel, scripture says um, the angel's next words were, do not fear. <laughs> I got a message for you. I, I, I'm a friendly visitation. Don't fear. 
And so this is a reminder to us that, that right here in that, that demarcation line of, of our humanity encountering the supernatural in the story and, and the human's response to that godly manifestation of power was this, this whatever the, the fearful response would have been. I can assure you that probably by the angel's response, hey, don't fear, the shepherds were not doing this. Hey, man, hey. Good to see you. But their response reflected the meeting. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, don't fear. I got a message for you. And their message is, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That phrase right there would have been ground shattering. All people. You see, the people of the time who were Jewish were raised in, a, in an atmosphere that was Judeo-central. So what I mean by that is their whole history had been written. We know more about this culture than any other culture in history. We know, we know names and genealogy and, and travel and finance and, and everything about the written record that we have here. More. More and more is coming to light around the world about other things. But we have this documented and their world was immersed in their history. And so if you were Jewish or lived in this time, you would have understood your story. And what I mean by your story is if you were to ask somebody who grew up in the time and say, yeah, tell me about your family, they can recite to you their story and their story is their genealogy. Do, 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 do. I'm the son, I'm the son, I'm the son of their son and their son and their son and their son and they would just go on. And they would know. And the importance of knowing that and everything was encompassed in and about what it meant to be these people. And here you have the angels interrupting the thought process to say the Savior, the one who is coming, is for everybody. Now, I love that part because everybody, if you were to look at a map, and, and we tend to think uh, Moses Lake Central, so when we look at a map, we're like, hey, where's Moses Lake? And everything around the world comes from Moses Lake. We're like, hey, we got to go here. We got to go here. Okay. And so we think about to the outer edges of the earth. We're here. It comes. But flip the script. They're in Palestine. They're in what is now the nation of Israel that pinned that to the other side. We would be the rest of the people. We are the recipients of the rest of the story that these angels are talking about. I bring you good news. And the good news that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is a message of good news. It was a message from a holy and righteous God sent by angels to the lowly. I love that. In fact, God had been foretelling this arrival for many years. He said in Isaiah 49.6, Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. God had been foretelling his people that he was sending a savior that will be for all people and to the Gentiles. In fact, we are the Gentiles. Unless you have Jewish lineage, you are a Gentile. If you go to ancestry, almost everyone has Jewish lineage, but... 
it's probably not true. Like some have an established cultural relationship with their history. They could say, yes, I know this. I, that's me. I'm part of this. And the rest of us are the Gentiles that we see in Scripture. And the Lord was foretelling to say, I am sending my servant. It was a message of a Savior. This is important. You know, this Christmas season in our culture, we've whitewashed the Christian season. We, we, we've dulled it, so to speak. We've turned it into something other than what the nature of Christianity, the rival of Christ, meant. We've turned it into this thing that is the, the beautiful nativity scene and story or portrait of a baby with, with a glowing head and a manger with two parents and a couple animals and a couple magi and a couple other animals around and a little bit of hay. And, and we look at that nativity thing like, oh, that's so cute. But many times in our lives, we demonstrate that we're missing the actual idea of the representation of Jesus's arrival on the earth, which was God's plan in motion to rescue and redeem people. Amen? Come on, somebody, that right here in this moment, we can look to that section and that picture and be, God, you're so amazing that you would interrupt the time to send a redeemer. Why? Because just like the angels declared to the shepherds, a Savior's being born in the city of David this night. The, the, the reality that a Savior was needed by them, but to all people since Adam. Since Adam, we were alienated from God and we were alone and living under the curse of sin. Jesus came to break that curse and to offer freedom and repentance and forgiveness and healing and restored relationship for us. Matthew 1, 20 through 21, it says, Behold, the angel Lord appeared unto him, Joseph, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. Mission statement. Jesus' arrival was to redeem people and to send forgiveness, provide forgiveness and freedom. In fact, I, I love this. Um, you know, we know a famous text, Luke 19.10. It says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus Put it this way. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of our Lord. What would it be? In times of the Christmas season, when we're remembering the birth of Christ, we're remembering his mission to be a people who declare, all right, I want to speak like Jesus spoke. I want to do what Jesus did. His arrival meant that the brokenhearted would be healed. I love this text of scripture because think about this, especially this season right now. How many people have we encountered 
who are down, discouraged, or brokenhearted. And Jesus said, I have come to heal the brokenhearted. I love the, the, the picture that comes to mind for me is, you know, a heart that has been fractured and broken. And Jesus saying, I've come to, some translations say bind. Smash it together. And just take rope or leather and wind. Give it time to heal. Let, 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 our, let our emotions and our, our identity and our fragility get, wrap, get wrapped into the love of Jesus and give us time to, to be able to process those things that have happened. In fact, you could correlate that. There's another phrase here, to set at liberty them that are bruised. This is Jesus. The terminology of bruised, you can insert another word, crushed. You could also take that word crushed and put this phrase, to those who have suffered overwhelming, excruciating experiences. Just think about this. Jesus said, you've suffered excruciating experiences? I have come to give you freedom, a new sense of life. I've come to heal and restore identity. This is, this is what Jesus is saying. To preach the gospel to the poor, to those who were lowly and had great need, that he would, he would be their hope, the good news of salvation, forgiveness that would be for all, that he would be sent to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captive. This wasn't just for those who we would see as physical slaves. So I have to tell you that as Christians, we cannot ignore those who are in physical slavery and that we must throw maximum effort at their freedom. But there are many people who are walking around and maybe even some in this room who are slaves to something. And Jesus said, I've come to set the captive free. I've come to bring deliverance to those who are enslaved and a recovery of sight to the blind that he will heal people. Not just the spiritual eyes of those through salvation, but physically he's come to heal people. And he will restore the hope of those who have been crushed and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What would it be like to talk to Christians who recite to you the scripture about what the time that we live and about what he's doing and declaring. God is so good. You see what's happening here and here and here. Oh yeah, and don't forget, Jesus is coming soon. Amen. To be reminded about the reality that, that the season that we celebrate today, fast forward 32, 33 years later in his life meant a violent action that was the victorious work of God, Jesus on the cross that he died and was buried and rose again so that people could have forgiveness and reconciliation. Many times we miss that story and how powerful that is, but I submit to you, I submit to you that each and every one of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ sit here today because of your encounter with Christ and his radical love and forgiveness for you. you. This, is the, this is the reason for this season. 
This is the reason that we celebrate the idea that Jesus arrived in a manger, ended on a cross, and rose three days later is the acceptable year of the Lord for us. Jesus has come to heal people, amen? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus in the way that I would say you've yielded your life, you've evaluated its contents, you've, you, you've examined your heart and have found that I am in desperate need of a savior, I am wicked. Scripture, scripture talks about that. Jesus is the answer for that. He wants to come into your life and radically overhaul, take first position and lead you into relationship with him in a deeper way. Jesus, his name is hope and he's offering hope. And so would you stand with me? You see, in a few days, we're all gonna celebrate Christmas Eve and Christmas and I am so for that. I just wanna encourage us that we would keep our eyes on the reason that Jesus arriving as a savior to forgive people, to rescue people, to redeem people. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness, Lord God. Thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that this week as we move to the culmination of this Christmas season or the date that's on the calendar, Father, I pray that you would, Lord, that you would make yourself known, that we would find in the rhythms of life reminders that you are drawing us and, and calling us and, and help us to keep first and foremost that you are the reason for the season, Lord God, and that Jesus came to bring hope to people. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a conduit of that hope to people that we would be representatives of the good news. Pray that you would bless each and every person here, Lord God, that you would go with them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen, be blessed. Hope to see you Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. candlelight service here in this building.